Now, when, when you're dealing with aspects of death and sorrow, you begin to appreciate more than ever a church family. And how fitting that is because who better to provide the answers and the, the comfort that nothing else can provide than a church family that is the pillar and ground of the truth, and that truth is the resurrection. And, and so I just want to remind you, you have been ministered to every service by Brother Luigi, and, and this is a time for you to return that. And I, I encourage you to keep that in mind and, and be sure that, that the ministry that you have received from him, that you would certainly listen to the Holy Spirit and, and know what to do from there. I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 78, if you would. Uh, Psalm 78. We're just going to deal with um, the first few verses here. There are different styles of preaching and there are names of, of particular styles and, and they categorize those. One of the things that, that I probably do the most is called an inductive type of preaching. And inductive basically means that you're laying out this case and then you're working up to the point. And that can be a challenge for the listener sometimes because you don't really see the, the primary point until we get towards the end. I did that at men's prayer meeting this morning. I've done that some this week. And it also means that you have, to, you have to follow along as we go and you have to have faith that we're going somewhere. All right. Otherwise, you're going to say, I have no clue what any of this is about. And I think you'll, you'll certainly get some bits and pieces along the way, but it's not until we get to the end that the real primary point is there. Psalm 78. Um, it, so let's, let's just read the first few verses here. Verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations, the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Now, the, uh, the psalm is headlined by Maskell of, of Asaph. And Maskell heads, I, I think, about 13 psalms, and it simply means to give instruction. That's what the, the psalm was meant to do, and, and that is helpful because really if you read this whole psalm, it has a lot of history in it. And so when, when Asaph would be giving this psalm, he would be helping them to praise the Lord to give instruction based on the history of the children of Israel. So Asaph felt like that there was a lot for them to learn from their history. And we certainly realize that history does give us um, an appreciation for our God, but also gives us a little bit of an understanding of the future. Because we learn from history, if, if we learn from history, we have an idea where certain things might lead us in the future. 
because we've seen that in the past. So Maskell is, is instruction, and then, and then Asaph was a, a Levite who was given musical leadership in the temple, and he's responsible for writing 12 psalms, and, and then he oversaw the music instruction and the choir and the instruments as well. So that just kind of gives you a, an idea that, that this was meant to instruct, and it was by one that was in, responsible for, for the worship. Notice in verse 1, this is those, that kind of psalm that you read over and you think, okay, this is a psalm and it kind of has psalm-type language. But, but I'm telling you, there's some rich truth in here that, that will help if you'll pay attention to it. When he says, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. We need to re receive instruction that is beyond our own thoughts. All right, that's what he starts off this psalm is he's saying, I have a law and I'm asking you to give ear to the law that I am declaring and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. All right, so the writer is instructing them to listen to his law and it's not his law in that he owns it. It's, it's his law that he has adopted that we're going to find out in the, in the coming verses. It's his because he, he bought into what he received in that case. And, and they are to cause their ears to listen to his words. Now, don't, don't lose sight of the profundity of that. What they are supposed to listen to is what he is saying. He is addressing in this very first verse a human challenge, a significant human dilemma. And that is we mostly want to hear our words in our ears. That's what we are inclined to. We have to be told, we have to be challenged, we have to be instructed to incline our ears to the words of somebody else's mouth. Because that doesn't come natural to us. We want to constantly regurgitate our own thoughts and our own feelings. We feel best when somebody reinforces what we think and what we feel. God designed our ears on purpose so that we could hear something outside of us. If all we needed was to reproduce our own thoughts and our own feelings, we would not need ears except to hear birds and, and waves. That's not, that's not the point. He gave us ears and then instructed us all through the scripture, listen, you, you need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And he said, use your ears to hear the words from somebody else's mouth. The Bible warns us against our own way and our ears are one of the greatest gifts God gave us to keep us from destruction. I want you to think about that. Your ears may not seem like that big a deal to you, but your ears will save you from destruction one day. Because the Bible warns us against our own way, particularly self-deception. Self-deception is the most dangerous deception there is. And we are, we are least suspicious of ourselves because we think our own thoughts are right. And God gave us ears to hear something. I want to read several verses from the Proverbs. I'm not going to take time for you to, to turn. That You can try if you want to. I'll give you the reference, but you'd have to turn really fast. Let me try to explain how much of a problem this is 
that Solomon conveyed, and, and these will be from Proverbs, and then I'll give you some others as well. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. He's guarding us against self-deception. He says, be careful that, that what you see is not your only wisdom. Don't just say what I see, what I think, what, what I believe, what I feel, that's wisdom. He says, no, no, don't be wise in your own eyes. That, that's where our ears come in. In order for us to be wise, there's, listen, there's a difference in, in what we think is wise or what is wise and what is wise in our own eyes. All of us, hopefully all of us, have had times in our life where we came to the, to the reality that, oh, I thought this was right, but then after I, I heard this message or I, I read this out of the Bible or somebody talked to me or, or I, I went in and I, I talked to pastor, then I realized I was completely off. That, that's the reality that we were wise in our own eyes, but we were not wise. Just because our eyes thinks it's wise doesn't make it wise. And, and, and we're told in the Bible, be careful of that. Be careful of reinforcing your own thoughts. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but here's what actually happens. The end thereof are the ways of death. He says somebody got in their mind, this is right. I'm right. And I know it. And nobody's going to convince me otherwise. And, and when we have this way that it seems right unto us, it hasn't been reinforced from Scripture, but it seems, seems is a big word. It seems right to us because we, we don't accept other mouths speaking into our ears, then we miss something. And he says, listen, you, you need to be careful because you could die, your family could die spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or even physically if you don't realize that there's a way which seems right unto you, but that doesn't mean it's right. And a, a lot of death could have been averted, meaning deaths of families, and I, and I mean especially spiritually, maybe ecclesiastically, meaning in, in church, could have been avoided if they would have realized, you know, this thing that I'm so convinced of, it seems right to me. But Solomon's trying to warn us against that. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. You, you want to demonstrate to other people in your family or other people in this church whether you're a fool or wise? If everything that you believe comes from inside and you've decided it's right, then you probably have a fool on your, on your hands. But a wise person is one who is going to hearken unto counsel. They are going to hear in their ears words from somebody else's mouth because they don't want to just seem right, they want to be right. They, they, don't, want to, they don't want to be a fool, they want to be wise. And we are warned over and over and over, if you don't get some words other than your own, you're on a dangerous path. He says, you need to incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Proverbs 26, uh, 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Proverbs 26, 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. I mean, somebody that is just convinced in their own eyes, I'm right. There's more hope of a fool 
than of him. Proverbs 30, 12. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Isaiah 5, 21. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any among you seem to be wise in the world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. In other words, avoiding that self-deception where, where they have convinced themselves it's all inward, it's all within. They're not listening to the words of somebody else's mouth. They are regurgitating their own. Galatians 6, 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. James 1, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James 1, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. I'm telling you, it is, it is all through Scripture. I could read you 20 more verses that says, listen, please pay attention to your need for your ears to hear the words of somebody else's mouth. And, and, and one of the primary reasons for that I could go into a lot more verses is because of the problem of our own way. When we, when we go our own way, we get the fruit of our own way. Verses like Proverbs 131, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Proverbs 26.27, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone it will return up upon him. I could go on and on and on and on. One of the reasons we need to be protected from our own way is because if, if we don't hear the words of somebody else's mouth, a, a law that counters our own, we don't have a chance to be wise, we become a fool, and we eat the fruit of our own way, and it never tastes good. It's a bitter, bitter fruit. Two of our greatest resources are our own ears and somebody else's mouth. It's vitally, vitally important. We are blessed to have ears to hear what somebody else says. Otherwise, we, we would only have to, to reinforce what we think, and, and we would suffer so much from that. We're blessed to have access to more words than our own, even in this case, in the Word of God. And then, and then people that, that God places into our lives. Now let's go to verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So I want you to realize in, in part that, that we are blessed to have thoughts that are not our own, but we are also blessed to have thoughts, to be given thoughts or instruction that is beyond our own time. And I want to dwell on this here a little bit. A, a parable is a, a deeper meaning below the surface. It means you're not just settling for superficial. Um, a, a parable means we're going to deal with this truth, and it's not just going to be what you think right up front. There is a depth to it that, that you, have to, that you has, have to grasp. He says, I'm going to open my mouth in a parable, and he says, I'm going to utter dark sayings of old. Sayings that don't have much light shining on them right now. 
Meaning that this parable, this truth that you're going to have to think about, that you're going to have to process to really get it. He's saying it's a dark saying of old, meaning that maybe it has passed out of fashion. It's not something that we always talk about right now in our culture. It's sayings that are not the product of our current culture or our current times These are sayings which he says that we have received. They are of old. They they came from back there. And he says, I'm going to take those sayings that were were important and believed back there. And and they might seem dark today. They, They might seem like a parable that they're not just the first thing that comes to mind. But, but we're, going to, we're going to learn these. He says, I'm going to bring them back and I'm going to declare those dark sayings of old to you because otherwise you will be stuck with hearing the superficial things that you hear out of your own culture. And, and so he, he says, these things that have been passed down from old, that's what I'm going to declare to you. The passed down by the fathers. Look at verse 3. He says of these sayings, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So he's talking about these sayings that come from, from way back in the past and that he is, he is bringing, into, he's bringing into the future. So he clarifies, he, he clarifies that and, and let's be sure that we, that we kind of summarize this in a particular way. We need a heavy dose that meets two criteria. It didn't come from us, and it didn't come from now. Now, I want you to get that in your minds. That's what he's saying here. He's saying we need truth that didn't come from us. We we need to incline our ears to the law of something outside of us. So we need truth that didn't come from us, but then we need truth that didn't come from now. Meaning that it's not something that we just came up with today, that we, that we, it is a product of our culture. We can have an added confidence and security when we know the foundation that we are building on is not one that we ourselves came up with or truth that we came up with that is as fickle as our culture. Because if we're not careful, we're going to build on what we think is truth, but really is a product of our culture that wasn't the same as the culture before it, that wasn't the same as the culture before it. And it's just like the plus sign at the end of LGBTQ. It's like, okay, we know some more is going to come. We just don't know what to call it yet. And, and we're going to go to something that's even worse next and then worse next. And we need truth. If we're going to build a strong foundation, we need truth that doesn't come from us and doesn't come from now. We need that which has been handed down, which was true 500 years ago, which is true 300 years ago, true 100 years ago, and is still true today. Where does what you believe and feel source from? I mean, what, what, not just what you believe, but what you feel. Your feelings come from your truest beliefs in many cases. Where does that come from? Does that, does that come from you? Or does that come from outside of you? Does it come from some newfangled ideas that our culture has decided is right about the home? Or about, about the way we, we use our time and who deserves our time? And, and if we're too busy, then what are we too busy with? And, and, and all of those kinds of things. I mean, are, 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 your, 
Are, are your thoughts coming from yourself and coming and, and formed by this culture and your, and your beliefs and your practices? Or do you have the confidence that what you are building on is something that has existed for generations? I, I mean, we, we, ha- we have to pay attention to what is really the foundation of our beliefs and our feelings. And he said, I'm going to pass down to these, these things, these sayings of old. And, and really what, what this is, is received truth. That's kind of what this message is about. We're still not to the point quite yet. But there is received truth, these sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. And I would challenge you and ask you this morning, what is competing with received truth in your home? What competes with that, that biblical character, that biblical ethics, that the, the doctrine, the practice of the Word of God that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. What is that received truth that has come into your home? What is competing with that? What is it that keeps us from really buying in to that? Let me tell you one of the reasons your pastor does things at this church like he does. Because some churches make it very difficult to get received truth because they are practicing and implementing so many trends from the current culture, you almost get this, this weird dichotomy when you go into the church because they're claiming to be based upon 2,000-year-old truth. But everywhere you look, it's, it's a, a taste of the modern. It's a taste of today. It, it is so trendy that it's hard to then listen to a message that is saying, listen, we are about something that hadn't changed in 2,000 years. Now, now we, we, go through, we go through changes, yes, the, the problem is not changes. It is, it is when those changes begin and the, the very idea of change and trendiness comes. And it's not even the trends themselves that are the problem. It is that when we become seen or known as trendy, then it makes it very difficult for us to have credibility in saying we're going to give you received truth. We're going to pass on to you what we received. There are so many current aspects that determine what we believe and what we practice and the way that our homes are conditioned. And it didn't come from received truth, those dark sayings of old which our fathers passed down and they passed down to their fathers and they passed down. It is, it is coming from television. It is coming from podcasts. It is coming from, from internet. It's coming from um, teachers and instructors. It comes from our personal emotions and our desires. It comes from politics. It comes from friends. And he says, what I need to declare to you is what has been said for generations. Listen, there is a, there's a satisfaction that comes from that. That comes from realizing what I'm standing on is what my fathers stood on. And what their fathers stood on. And what their fathers stood on. You know, assume there's a, a few practical steps that I, I would challenge you with here. One, assume that there is some guiding law and seek to find it in every area of your life. When you're trying to figure out what kind of a husband to be, don't, don't just rely on some modern book. 
You, you go back to receive truth. When you're trying to figure out what kind of wife to be and what kind of mother to be, you start with received truth. You start with truth that you are absolutely confident has withstood the test of the ages. When you're trying to figure out how to raise your children, be careful following some newfangled idea. You, you start with the upbringing of your children with received truth. That which has come from generation to generation to generation. The point is not that there would not be changes, but there is that core which has withstood the, the time, the test of time, and come to us through the Word of God and has raised families for generations. When it comes to the way that you conduct a church, you, you build your foundation on that which has been received from generations past instead of deciding there's got to be some better way that we come up with right now. Assume there is this guiding law and seek to find it. Second, force yourself to hear what this law is. Let your ears hear the words of somebody else's mouth. Third, because of the, the dark sayings, the parables don't give up when it isn't easy answers. Don't, don't stop at superficial sayings. Know what was respected before you were born. Study what your own people believed before you like in, in, a, in a church like this. Now, let's go on just for the sake of time. Look at verse 4. It's, kind of in, it's in two sections here. We covered the first. What, what kind of truth are we talking about? We're talking about received truth. Verse 4, now, we will not hide them, this received truth, these sayings, we will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. And then He explained some for the children of Israel, particulars. He said, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. It is vitally important to be sure that we pass on the received truth. So verses 1 through 3 is that we receive the truth that came before us. And now verses 4 through 7 is the, the, the urgent necessity that the truth that we pass on is the truth that we received. So in verse 4, they were committed to showing the greatness of God to the generations to come. Not hiding them. Not hiding the received truth of who God was and is and, and what He's doing. The, those sayings of old, verses 2 and 3. He, the, the praises of the Lord and, and His strength. What He is capable of doing that others are not. His wonderful works, the things which He has done. And actively showing them, highlighting them, talking about them, demonstrating. Listen, this is what God has done. The God that, that our fathers and our grandfathers and our great grandfathers fathers that they, that they believed and they trusted and they served. Here's the things God did in the past. Here's the things that God is doing for us and we're going to pass those on. He says we will not hide them. It's not just that we're going to show them. We're going to figure out is there any way that we're hiding this and then we are going to be sure that we don't do that and instead we're going to surround our kids with the works of God. Our family with the works of God. Verse 5 he gives some details here. What, what God established is what He wanted passed on to their children. He says, He established a testimony in Jacob, 
which was many years removed, many generations removed from this. But he said he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And he, this he commanded our fathers that they should make those things known to their children. Not just the, the things of their day. He says that the, it's as if it's, it's so obvious the things of today are going to be somewhat absorbed by people because it's the culture they live in. He says that's not, that's not what a family is for. A family is not for reinforcing everything about today. A family is for the purpose of taking received truth and being sure that your children, if they get anything and, and, and even everything, they are going to get the confidence of truth that their parents received. That's what a family does. They take those stories of old. They take the evidence of God's strength and His praises and His wonderful works and, and they make them known to their children in, in verse 5. Even the, this law that started so long ago, He said, "You kids, you need to know this. We must be sure the next generation knows that truth. Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. The intent was that this would happen to every generation. He said, the generation to come must know it. Even the children which should be born to that generation. But then he says, not just that, but you want them to be so passionate about that same truth that they got from the generation before them that that generation is going to take and pass on the exact same re received truth to their generation. Now we're talking about grandkids that, that is, is given with a passion the, the received truth that two generations before had. And they're passing it down generationally. And, and that each would find it their responsibility and he says in verse 7 that this is the best way for every generation to have a real walk with God. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep His commandments. Why? Because they bought into the received truth of the previous generation. Who bought into the received truth of the previous generation. Who bought into the received truth of the previous generation. And, and he says that that's what's going to help them that, that when they come through troubles and trials in their marriage and their family and their finances and their country's falling apart, that their hope will be in God. That's where they're going to turn. Not to some lawyer, not to some marriage therapist, not, not to some new elected official. Their hope's going to be in God because they have been given truth that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation and it's been proven and their confidence, it sets, they set their hope in God. They don't forget the works of God, but they keep His commandments. Now listen, church. This is the process that God has chosen to ensure that received truth exists in every generation. That a family passes it down to the next family. Passes it down to the, to, the, to the next one and the next one. Obviously, God did His work by preserving His Word for us and we have it. He did His part to have it written down. He leaves it to you and me as families to be sure that we take what He preserved for thousands of years and that we preserve it in our families and that we pass it down with a passion to our children 
who pass down that same passion to their children and generation to come. This is the process God chose. He intended families to pass this down. Now, you say, well, where does the church come into all this? Well, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is the one that every time you meet, it lifts up this received truth and says, now listen, Dad, remember this truth. Listen, wife, remember this is the truth. Not what, not what you saw on Oprah today. Not what you read on that website. Not, not what you heard in that podcast. That This pastor faithfully week after week after week sets before you the very received truth of God so that families can rally around it and, and a dad can be charged up and a husband can be charged up and be able to go back to his family and say, now this is received truth. We're not doing anything new. We're not trying to be novel. We're going to take what has existed for generations and that's going to be the core of our family. That's, that's one of the, the greatest accomplishment of a family is to pass on a godly seed. But now let's talk about reality for a moment. Kids don't always make it. Our kids don't always follow us. I would assume there would be plenty of stories in this room that a, a dad and a mom felt like they did everything they could and their kids chose something different. That has to be discouraging. I mean, that, that has to have a hurt in many ways that a lot of other things maybe could never do because there are kids that reject it entirely. Others maybe just reject parts of it that they don't like. And, and you did everything you could. You, 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 maybe you had them in church, you taught them this, you taught them that, and, and yet they rejected parts of it. I, I personally am not wise enough to know why every kid rejects what their parents taught them. I, I don't always know. I, 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 wish it was, I wish it was simple. I wish it was easy to be able to see cause and effect and to say, okay, th these kids went off the rails because, you know, this happened maybe in, in, at home or the home was like this or the dad was like this, the mom was like this or the kid was just like this. I, I, I don't know, sometimes it's easy to see. I, I mean, sometimes it really seems like it is that a, that a marriage is a contentious marriage and, or, or there's issues with authority. You know, sometimes those are easy to see. Other times, it's not as clear. But I want to propose that this text provides something for us to think about. What was to be handed down is what was received and it was what came from outside of those parents and outside their time that gave weight to what the kids saw. Now, please follow this. Because I, I really think there's something very profound being said here, but it's very simple. That the kids felt like something much greater in weight than just what their parents gave them that the kids felt like what their parents gave them was heavier than just something from their parents. That what their parents was giving them was something that was timeless. That, that was generational. That it had been accepted intact. That the parents had taken what they received, what had been preached, 
what was given to them. And that's exactly what those parents handed down so that those kids would get a sense. This is not just mom and dad. What they're bringing me up in is a lot bigger than that. This is not just my dad. This is his dad. And I don't necessarily mean literally his dad. But, but it was the generation that taught him. Which was passing down what the generation taught them. And that when a child gets a sense that what they are being handed is not their parents' ideas and their parents' version. It is what they received that they received from the one before and the one before and the one before that it carries a weight that maybe nothing else could ever be as convincing as that. That the parents transmitted it the way they received it. Meaning the generational aspect. Now, I, I, I want to be very transparent about this. and I, I want to finish with this point and then I'll be done. By God's grace, Lisa and I have been blessed at this point in time in our life to have three adult children that have chosen to follow the, the upbringing that Lisa and I gave them. I don't, I don't know any part of it that they've rejected yet, whether it be standards or, or, or you know, the, the church or, or the Word of God. I, our, our oldest son, he's our, the youth director at Bible Baptist Church, Daniel, and our second son, Samuel, is a, a youth director and music director in South Dakota. And our daughter, Emily, is finishing her last year at Heartland. But here's, here's the deal. I am an increasingly aware of how not great a parent I was. I, I, I wish I could go back and do some things different. I, 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 see, I see some things that dads do and I think, man, I wish I'd have done that. I, I wish I'd have been more aware of this. And I, I, can, tell you, I can tell you so many things I, I wish I'd have done better. And if I could do it again, I would. You know, but it's hard to describe the joy that we experience. But I'm convinced in, in reading all of this that I benefited from something unintentionally. That maybe the, maybe the greatest benefit that I had was that what I passed on to my kids, however imperfectly, is what I received from my generation before that I tried not to stray from what my father gave me. I didn't tamper with it. I didn't apply today's culture to it and say, well, I'll take this part, but I don't want that part. My kids had to feel like, you know what my dad's giving us didn't come from my dad. Listen, families, please listen to this. I am convinced that the greatest benefit that I had in raising my own kids was not my parenting ability, was not my great wisdom, which was not great, was not my ideas. It was the fact that what I taught them, they were convinced my parents didn't tamper with it. This is not their version of it. Although they were preacher's kids, they weren't always, but they knew that what is preached 
at the church that we attend, what is preached is what my parents try to do because they're taking the truth that was received, that, that, that the, the pastor preaches, and, and they've been in other churches that, that they realize, listen, we're not taking what is being given to us and saying we'll take 60% of that and then we'll throw away 40% because that just, that just made them realize this is not received truth. This is a cafeteria. And my parents walked through and came up with their own version and they're handing me their version. Because if you do that, your kids have every right to do the same. They have every right to pick and choose the parts that they want and then say, well, my mom and dad, they, I mean, they heard these things at, at church, but, but you know, they, they rejected that one and, and that one and that, that wasn't that important, and so I can reject the ones that I want to reject. I really could have cheapened to the point where they didn't think they were getting received truth. They were getting mom and dad's most comfortable religion. Because mom and dad were not inclining their ears to truth outside of them. They weren't inclining their ears to truth outside of their time. They were, they were just taking and coming up with their best version and the kids realized this is not really the way it's been all this time. This is mom and dad's version. You know, even if I hadn't been raised in a good home, which many of you were not, you know, my kids would have seen Bible Baptist Church and they, they would have seen a church and, and what it represented and what it declared. And, and your kids here or, or even families, if you didn't have, you didn't have a, a good home that you were raised in, and you say, well, I don't have received truth. Yes, you do. It is preached and declared from this pulpit every week. You do get to see received truth. And, and you might say, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't have that kind of upbringing and my family line, it looks horrible, it looks terrible, it, it, it is wicked and I have some horrible things back there. Yes, but you have an opportunity to have the very preserved Word of God that is preached week after week after week and you have an opportunity to change the generations to come in your family and in your line so that your children feel like, man, I have got something solid. I've got something that's worked for 2,000 years and, and I know it's going to carry me through what Whatever our country goes through, it's going to carry me through whatever our family goes through. And you, dad, you, husband, you have an opportunity to be sure that you tie right back in to receive truth. Those, those dark sayings of old, which don't seem very popular today, those sayings that you have heard and known that, are, that your fathers have told you from the Word of God, and you have a chance to instill those with, in a, with a passion into your children because they see you buying in to receive truth, lock, stock, and barrel, and they decide, man, that's weighty. I don't want to mess with something that has that been, been passed down from that many generations. May God help us to be families and churches that buy in to receive truth, not just current stuff. And maybe have an opportunity to see generation after generation buy into it. You, you'll be amazed how that can fix a lot of parenting that parents we wish we could have done different. But if we give them anything, let's give them received truth Amen. so they can feel that weight. Brother Ingram.